0: Go with D. I feel like Halo on the Miami Heat. The words I speak off this sheet are like a 3 P. don't just hop on a track. I bring running cleats. I'm a player for real, more than an athlete. Let like my mama tell it. Could have ran for the Senate. Instead, I penned it for Donovan Bennett. I'm cemented. This a deep dive. In your headphones or a long drive. Up close and personal, just like you side. They ain't no out of bounds here. No offsides. We going live in one, two, three, four, five. You are now tuned in to Going Deep with Donovan Bennett. That's right, it is Going Deep, and I am Donovan Bennett. And once again, we are talking about footy, the beautiful game. And I know, I know, this show, our podcast feed has been heavy on soccer right now, but it's the World Cup. It happens every four years on the men's side. Let's not forget, in 2023, we have a Women's World Cup that we need to support. So stay tuned to this space. There will be a bunch of episodes on sports that are not, Soccer or football, depending on where you live. And I'm actually really excited for some that are coming down the pipe next week. But this week we're still talking World Cup because there's been some outstanding games, performances. Shout out to Morocco, who has now played Croatia, Belgium, obviously Canada, and Spain. And only one team has scored against them. That would be us. So maybe we can take a little bit of solace out of that. But we are down to the elite eight, and it is a lot of the usual suspects. It's going to be some good football on Friday and Saturday. And to, to break it down, a good friend of mine, Christian Jack, who you've seen on one soccer, breaking down the tactics of the game better than quite honestly. And I say this knowing that I know him personally and that you may think I'm a Homer educates and makes complex things in soccer seem so simple, better than anyone I've seen. And i Watch soccer every Saturday and Sunday throughout the year. He's going to join us, but I actually want him to break down something else. Yeah, we're going to get into tactics and man management and who could continue to go through and what did go wrong for Canada and where we can improve, but I really want to get an understanding of the soul of this World Cup in Qatar. We've talked about it here and given our perspective from afar, but KJ is there on the ground, meeting with people, talking to people. Certainly being as friendly, doing his job as he is in real life. So let's listen and learn about what the experience of covering a World Cup is for a Canadian, a real success, not just success for the men playing. Let's go deep with Christian Jack. So KJ, selfishly, I forget about the podcast or work. I'm just happy to be able to talk to you because I can pepper you with questions about what I'm seeing, what I think I think, and you can kind of confirm or deny my half-baked football philosophies. Uh, it is great to hear your voice. It, but first off, on the human level, I just want to know, what has the experience been like covering a World Cup, but specifically one that Canada's in and one that is in Qatar, given everything that's gone on off the field? What is this Experience been like for you personally?
1: Yeah, great to speak to you, mate. It's been a it's been an absolute blast, to be fair. Um, it's been, um, you know, like all World Cups are. It's been very challenging. It's the real fatigue levels have been setting in. You know, I think I had like eleven or twelve days in a row with three or four hours sleep a night. Um, but you know, this has been, this is what you sign up for, right? I, I just have to say, like, I've had like immense gratitude for the chance and the opportunity to get out here and talk to some people and fans and and talk to the people back home in Canada who are great, you know, massive supporters of this game. So it's been a real real pleasure. Uh, It's been eye-opening. It really was a journey into the unknown. I had no idea what it would be like out here. Uh, I have to say, you know, FIFA have done a really good job in taking care of the media in terms of access to stadiums and transport and in and out and getting between stadiums, which has allowed us to tell more stories to get to more games than I ever imagined I would get to. Uh, which I think is great, and then also you know just being able to talk about the Canadian team and, and being here has been really special as well. So, yeah, it's been it's been a lot better than I thought, um, but it does it does come with a bit of a caveat. I mean, you know me, like I have, I I I feel that like as much as it's been great here, that I still feel from from a human element, um, not necessarily feel that. I, I shouldn't be here, but I just feel that, uh, that, as I said, grateful to enjoy it, but understanding the incredible cost of what this has been, you know, bringing people out here and, and human lives as well, and just trying to really, I, I take the chance to try and speak to as many locals or people from here as possible, to get to know their stories and, 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 and their smiles on their faces make me smile, to be honest.
0: What have you learned when you spoke to those locals? Because leading up, to the tournament, I felt somewhat conflicted in many ways. But one, that it's not just a success for the players going in representing their country. It's also a huge success and a landmark opportunity for the journalists. But many journalists are put in a terrible position of morally, do you want to go? And two, do you feel safe going? So when you've had those conversations with people – you know, man-to-man, uh, you know, person-to-person, uh, you know, man-to-woman. What have they been like?
1: Uh, they've been, for the most part, 99% very, very good. Um, you know, I, I've had one very di- difficult moment here that I actually took the social media on just because I was it was a weak moment and I decided to put it out there, a very difficult, awkward ride with, in an Uber driver. Um, but other than that, um, it's been really pleasant. Everybody has been very kind. Uh, you know, people are quite reserved here. And it does, you know, we, I go through, prob- I've been through probably 200 to 300 security checks, whether it's from stadium to stadium or entrance to entrance to bus to bus. Um, everyone's clicking your your credential, just much like a, when you cover an Olympics. You, so everyone's, you, you, you interact with so many people. Uh, and most people are just on autopilot unless you kind of break them out of it. So they're just clicking a badge and go through. But if you like, you know, ask them their name or speak to them or say, you know, you look at their name badge and you light them up or they get a smile on their face. There's just little things you can make a difference. And it certainly makes a difference in my life too. That that's. But everybody for the most part, buddy, has been great. As I said, the police officers, um, people doing the transport, the volunteers here, who, you know, we meet people from all over the, all over the world, uh, the locals. And I use that locals a little bit liberally because you don't really feel like you meet many locals. Most people here are from somewhere else um you know there's a heavily um pakistani influence here indian bangladesh uh you know philippines there's a, there's a lot of people from a lot of other places um and they've all got their stories and talking to them and finding out that they've come here to earn more money than they did and they left their kids behind and things like that so that has been really special just to learn and, and, and every and i have to say that everybody you speak to and you tell them canada their face just lights up you know they just want to talk to you about canada and and how special canada is and Uh, trust me, I picked Canada to live. So I've never needed that kind of affirmation to understand and appreciate how great a country it is that I live in because it's the greatest country in the world. But it's certainly nice to see other people think that too.
0: Well, it's nice to see us on the world stage in the, the sport that the world cares about the most. And so getting there is an accomplishment. But you've been around this group for a long time. You know that that wasn't their only goal. And so I've asked guests on this show... To give them a letter grade at this World Cup specifically, how would you mark them? And so, after three games, what would you say? How would you rate how this team performed?
1: Um, how the team performed, I would probably give them a B minus. I think ultimately, you know, I think you're supposed to give grades. All the time, consistently, on no matter what it takes to get to that level. But I think even teachers, when they grade some children's work or wherever, they would always say that sometimes you isolate them a little bit and think if someone's overperforming or underperforming, you're going to evaluate them differently. Um, so I think you know for 50% of the time here, I, I think that they played very well and probably overperformed. I think the 90 minutes against Belgium, certainly at least 65 of it, was a, was was an unbelievably high level that many people didn't think we'd see at all at all here. Uh, and I think that the second half against Morocco was important. That They didn't go out with, with a wilter. Uh, they didn't get smashed and annihilated and, and went home embarrassed. So I think they did well in those games. I think the Croatia game, maybe they started very well, and maybe that's the extra 20 minutes that you tag on to the 70 uh, from Belgium to get you 50%. Um, but the rest of it was very disappointing. Uh, and the first half against Morocco, I thought, was, was genuinely poor. Uh, so... You know, the, the, it's it's in parts, right? Like ultimately, I think, and I and I say all that knowing that I think all I don't think I know all three of those teams that were, they were placed in the group are far more talented than Canada, and I think that was a message to get across to casual fans that look, this is not a team that is is um you know consistently underperforming. You know, they 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 belonged on that stage, but I do think that they were, they could have done things differently, different shapes, played it a little bit better in different positions to try and get them. Over the line, and ultimately, you know, coming to this World Cup and seeing so many games, there's an unbelievably fine line, mate, between success and failure. You know that 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 is absolutely the case. Uh, you see Germany go home, and they have the same amount of stuff as Spain, so uh,
0: it's um, it's 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 an interesting one. But I think that would be the grade. It's good perspective. I was a bit disappointed because when I grade them on the bell curve against their peers, I'm looking at. CONCACAF and the other CONCACAF countries doing better, at least relative to the group. Obviously, you know, Asia has had an amazing tournament, but I do want to have the perspective that as much as they wanted to get out the knockout stage in 2022, real success will come in 2026 based off of, hopefully, the learnings of 2022. People have talked about tactics and pathways to pro and competitive environments it's probably a combination of all those things but for you if you could earmark one thing that is really going to be important in the next three and a half years for the development of this team and the sport what would it be i think for the development of the sport it's 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 the legacy of 2026
1: in canada you know i i really feel like very very strongly about this i think that We're nowhere near close yet to developing that culture that we need to get. And what I mean by that is that, like, that comes with training facilities, that comes with these countries that are going to play in 2026, coming to Canada and staying in Canada to train during the World Cup if they're playing in games in that country, not just flying in from the U.S. to play that game and flying out. I think that is absolutely crucial to the success of the World Cup in Canada. We cannot just have fly-ins and have these teams just play in the stadium and then jet out. There's got to be some kind of um, infrastructure set up where they train. they've got to be connections with the local media, the connections with the local people. people can see that that country is is embedded in Canada for whatever time it may be two weeks. I think they're really important and then you suddenly have a legacy um, it doesn't look like we're going to have a legacy of stadiums, but we should have a legacy of facilities. I think that's for off the field is is very important and i i I do firmly believe the other thing is is the development curve and that's getting players to play in, in areas that they've never played before. And that's why the Canadian Premier League is so important, mate. It's absolutely crucial uh, to develop players. You know, we we will have players in 2026 who played in the CPL. We've got young players now who can't make it into Toronto FC or Montreal or Vancouver that are playing. You know, Karifa Yao, Sean Ray, are players that, are, that can be playing for Canada uh, that have played consistent minutes in, in the CPL, act, acting like a professional, being on television, you know, getting awards... Uh, play, you know, playing competitive minutes over 2,000 minutes per season physically against players, you know, you know, professional players. That's very important. We just never had that before. We cannot simply
0: rely on the three major league soccer teams to create Canadian players. Well, said. you're here. I want to uh, pick your brain about the entire tournament, and you've had an amazing vantage point bouncing from stadium to stadium and you know, group to group, first and foremost. It's coming home, is it not? Do the three Lions excite you? And really, they're they're teasing me. But have you seen something out of this group that lets you believe that they can progress and be a real threat? I still think in terms of windows that when you look at the age of some of the players coming through, uh, that probably the... Best football is still years ahead of this group. But, but when you've seen what Southgate and company have done in this tournament, what stands out to you?
1: Yeah, they're a, they're a fascinating team because they're obviously the most covered team from the English speaking media. And I think the moment that I didn't go to the U.S. game because I had a feeling it was going to be like that. And every team needs a game like that in the World Cup. They generally do need it. The moment they drew against the U.S., it was all you know. Everything was doom and gloom, right? That was, it was this is a disaster. How many? What well, you got to make changes? England are not playing well. I went to the Iran game and it was very comfortable uh, for them. Uh, and I, there's a lot of things that I like about them, buddy. That, that first of all, they can be they can be quite boring, <clears throat> which I think is a good thing in tournament football. Um, they're very they're very disciplined. They're very organized. Um, and the other thing too is they've got they've got star boys as I call them. They got Bellingham and they've got Foden. You know, and these young players. You know, I think of Rooney in two thousand and four at the Euros. I think of Michael Owen in ninety eight at the World Cup. They're not they're not intimidated by any of this. One because they're too young to even think about it. Two, this you know you know this being uh, a brilliant mind of sport. All around the world, sport's getting younger, and the young players, or you know, no matter what they are, men and women, no matter what they're playing, none of them are, none of them are getting any kind of issues with a lack of experience. They're coming in, and they know how to do it, and they're delivering. The young players are doing it all over the world in every sport, and so these players are ready. And the other thing about this, this tournament, the World Cup is the greatest tournament in this sport, but it's not where the best football is played. So if you're a Bellingham playing for Dortmund or if you're a Foden playing for City, you play at a higher level every single week, and then you go and play higher levels in the UEFA Champions League, where tactically it is so much more advanced than what the international game is. So they're coming over here, and things are a little bit slower. They're coming here, they're playing games, they're playing teams that they think, okay, we can beat these guys. So they suddenly become bigger stars. And that's when you've got someone like Bellingham in midfield, which is who I think is such an X factor for England because. They haven't always had that star in, in midfield. Midfield's always been a challenging position for them. And if you can control a midfield and run again from the midfield, you can win a World Cup. So, look, France will be an, a major test for them. Uh, and I saw France live this week with Mbappe. But they're not perfect either. And uh, they are beatable. So, yeah, it's uh, it's exciting, mate.
0: Yeah, I mean, you've heard the Gerard comparisons for Bellingham. And I think Iniesta is probably the the correct one, or maybe, you know, a bit of both he's 19. Like when you look at 19 and the captain of, of Dortmund and and has already had his number retired at a club, Bellingham, 19, Sokka 21, Foden, 22, rice, 23. Rashford seems like an old man at 25. They have a bunch of players who are 27 that, you know, if healthy, theoretically could still factor in major tournaments down the line. Um, You know, the future certainly is bright, but I, I do actually see some similarities in you know the France England matchup, in that you have all of this attacking talent all over the place, and, and many of it, sadly for France, is at home. Um, it, and yet you have a manager that, for the most part, wants to keep the handbrake on, despite you know what what media wants at the same time. But but you think it sounds like to manage a tournament that that's the correct approach.
1: Yeah, absolutely is. If you look at teams that have won World Cups over the last few years, they generally have a lot of things in common. One, they keep clean sheets. Two, they usually win games in extra time or penalties. That's usually, you've got to have to do something like that usually. Uh, And three, they usually have a very difficult game where everyone thinks that it's a crisis. And that's, you know, every every year, you know, France were terribly boring in the last World Cup in many games. Uh, You know, their game against Denmark was awful in the group stages and they didn't exactly inspire people. Um, all the way through. They were just efficient. Look, England, if they can do that against France, uh, I, then, then they'll be fine. The French, it, they've got four players in Dembele, Mbappe, Griezmann, and Giroud who can be explosive going forward. Uh, but watching them, sometimes when they lose the ball, I feel like there's one too many. Uh, and Griezmann has to do a lot of work in midfield. And so it'll be interesting to see whether we can cover that against an England team that is doing really well in midfield at the moment. Um, traditionally these games when England plays a giant like this um, they usually lose, that's the only thing I would say they usually end up losing despite all the optimism, um, but we'll find out, I mean, even their run to the Euros, I don't think they really, apart from Germany, but Germany w- weren't very good team, they didn't really beat uh, what I consider to be a, a great giant but if you can beat Mbappe and the reigning champions, that's, uh, that's a giant no doubt about it.
0: Dembele and Griezmann although they're so good going forward at times, they make some curious decisions with where they play balls. But when I look at France, I just feel like Mbappe takes half a yard and it's in the back of the net. Like there's those moments of brilliance that no matter if you are better at the other 10 positions, he has the ability to drag you to a victory. He's still just 23 in already climbing every record book. With Messi and Ronaldo, they had each other as antagonists. With him coming up now, is there anyone else really to be the face of the game moving forward along with him? It's a great question.
1: I don't really know if there is at uh, that level. I mean, Mbappe is already at the level that I think Messi and Ronaldo are at now. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's how good he is. You know, I, you, many people would say that he's probably the best player in the world now. Uh, you know, and, and, and when watching Messi, what he does is, is absolutely sensational. There's nobody like him here. Uh, we can get onto that in a second. But I don't think there's to in, what my point is to, to you, buddy, is that I don't think there's anybody can climb to that level because <laughs> it is such a high level that he's reached. Um, you know, the de, de Bruyne is a great player. And in many times I look at him and I think, yeah, he's the best player in the world. But he's 31, I think now, and like I just don't think he's going to be able to be the face of football because, you know, Messi and Ronaldo aren't stopping playing tomorrow. Neymar's 30, and he's always—if he wins the World Cup, I suppose he could be for the next three or four years another face with the the disappearance of Messi and Ronaldo. I suppose the other one I would say is a player that I have absolutely fell in love with here, uh, and that's Vinicius Junior. Um, who I think is a sensational player. I watch him, and he reminds me of a plot in Brazil in the 70s. He's just got the audacity that he's got on the ball. He's got a swagger about him. The, the pass he played for the fourth goal against Korea Republic in the, in the last 16, where he just lips it up. He like kind of just lobs it up for a volley. It was like watching Jarzinho and Pele. Like that's how good it was. So he is the kind of player that I think could be. Um, but at the moment, the distance between him and what Mbappe is at 23 is, is ginormous. And that's what makes these guys so special, buddy, watching them live. Every player here at the World Cup is truly, truly talented. To get to that level, to be a professional player, like you and I would know this. Like if we went out there and played the worst player in the World Cup, they would make us look like fools. But like then you have these players and then you have the greats. And that's, I know, I know what you love about sport. That's what I love. Like gravitating to the greats, true greatness. Uh, You know, I've got, you know, got to watch Mbappe and Vinicius and Neymar and Lewandowski and Ronaldo and Messi here and watching them trying to carry a team that is nowhere near as talented as their club team from a sporting point of view is absolutely fascinating when it comes to their body language, what they do, what they can't do, what they try and trust, what they don't trust. It's something you don't really see in other sports.
0: Well, it's something that selfishly I want to continue to see you know in the biggest games in the world, but you know part of the stories that have been talked about during this World Cup is that you know Messi potentially off to the United States, Cristiano Ronaldo potentially off to Saudi Arabia. I understand why their accountants might think that is a good decision, but I still think they have so much to give, maybe not in the way they did four or five years ago, and maybe not you know, pressing uh, defensively as much as maybe some managers would like. But I, I would be sad to see them not competing in the Champions League or in major domestic football. But that's just me selfishly as a fan. How do you feel about the twilight of these superstars' careers?
1: Yeah, I completely agree with you. You know, for me, what gets lost in this Ren- Ronaldo versus Messi debate is just how brilliant both of them are. And it's almost like it's polarizing now because it's almost like it's almost become like cheering for political parties and you can't cheer for both, which is utterly nonsense. I feel sorry for the ones who are only in the one camp that try and defend that person because they think he's better than the other one. What's the point? You know, these guys are two of the greatest players, if not the two greatest players to ever play the game. Think about that. You know, two of the best players to ever play the game. And you could make the case they're the best two. Uh, so, of course, the, uh, please keep them going as long as possible, as long as possible, um, because more and more people need to see them, you know, the, as long as possible at the highest level. Because you're right, once they go to an MLS or they go to a Saudi Arabia or something like that, it's not going to be the same. Uh, they're, going to sh- they're going to shine, but then suddenly the opposition is weaker and suddenly their greatness and what people are, are in awe of is not necessarily as, as, as eye-opening because you know that it's, doing, it's, it, it's playing in a different level field. No, no doubt about it.
0: It's not something that's unique to them. Obviously, players have done it before them, I would argue, it, it, much further past their prime. But even if you go back to Maradona and Pelé, they made decisions that were business decisions at some point of their career. And I do know, because you're such a historian of the game, I have to get you to put in context the one of the guys that these two were were chasing and it's you know the back of the bar argument of whether or not they've reached that level but it is Pele we obviously know that his health situation is not great and he is in you know end-of-life care now but you know there's a reason why he is known off of just one name alone because you know that bright smile and that beautiful game what does his legacy in the sport mean to you
1: well, what Pelé's legacy in the sport means to me is special because, like, my dad saw Pelé play, you know? So that's, that, that's only one generation away from me. <laughs> you know, that's literally my dad who can talk about watching him play for Santos at Villa Park, you know, and then seeing what he was like at Brazil in the 66 World Cup. And, um, you know, for me, his legacy is the fact that um, he, he, he the majority of his big moments took place in the World Cup. At the time when it was everything you know he won 58 he won 62 and he won 70 right he won as a teenager and then he won again as 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 the best player in the world in 1970 you know around some great great teams uh, great players. sorry to make that a great team so like this he never got to go to europe at that time and play for big clubs but santos at the time was a big club anyway right they would they would travel around the world and play on the teams so um, his legacy is, is is cemented as one of the greats, uh, undoubtedly, undoubtedly. The game was very different then, though. You know, it's like I'm never going to be the one who would say Ronaldo and Messi are better than what we saw from Pelé, but the game is very different. The game is very different from what it was in the 90s and the 80s. It's just the way that players are scoring goals now and the space they're finding and the pace and everything. Um, but it is also important to not lose sight of history and, and show gratitude for greats like Pelé. Because they were the trailblazers, you know. Would we be thinking about the World Cup in the way that we thought about it right now if no, if there was no Pele, if some other team won in '58 or they lost in the final in in '62, and suddenly, suddenly, you know, Sweden won or something in '58? Like, would we be thinking about that? No, it it becomes such a, a a moment of significance and so historic because people like him have won it before, right? So that's that those those great days, and that's what we can't lose sight of now with Messi and Ronaldo here in Qatar and what they're trying to accomplish and the greatness of what Mbappe is doing, you know, but unless the good Lord comes down pretty soon, mate, these games are going to be carried on playing and the world Cup's going to carry on for decades and decades and decades. And we're going to be gone and our children and another children. And after that, are going to be talking about how great Messi, Ronaldo and Mbappe and others were. So it's, um, it's special. I'm glad you asked me about Pele. He's, he's because he's, um, it, he's the first real great of the World Cup era, no doubt about it. A, a truly, uh, you know, icon, iconic figure in our sport. And, uh, yeah, I just, uh, it was just a pleasure to meet him once. A great story about that quickly. I met him once with Sid, actually, Sid 6-0. <laughs> and uh, we interviewed him. And it was the year before the World Cup came to Canada. So that would have been the, before the uh, Under-20 World Cup. So I think 04 and we interviewed him and I had my book there and I was helping Sid read. I was producing, I was helping Sid with my book and everything. I was researching and stuff and after asking him questions. And Pele saw me with the book and um, Pele came over and he signed the book to me. And he's like, let me sign your book. And I never, you know, you know it's like in this industry, you don't ask for autographs, but it was like, he just took the book and said, let me sign this book for you. And it was, he was just a gent, an absolute gent. So that's uh, one of my prized possessions.
0: Well done. Good on you, good on him. Many have picked Messi to have his last dance right into the sunset with a title. Many have picked Brazil to be that team of destiny and end the drought for South America. Based on current form, who have you tipped to win it all?
1: I took Argentina, and I'll stay with it. I, was in, I went to all three group games. I was in the stadium when they got shocked by Saudi Arabia, and um, I think it did them good. Uh, they've changed the system. Enzo Fernandez has come in. and been brilliant in midfield. Uh, I just think that they have a bit different of a mentality than Brazil. Brazil are more talented. Um, but Brazil have come into the past few World Cups more talented and, than any team and not won. And until they show me that they have the mentality to win a big game, I can't get behind them. And what I mean by that is they should have won the World Cups in the past and You know, we all know about the capitulation against the Germans, which came because of they were out of emotional control because they held up Neymar's shirt. who was obviously injured, but they held him up as if he was far more serious than that. And the the tears before and everything like that, they were out of emotional control in that game, which is why they lost similar to Belgium to 2010 to the Dutch. They just mentally collapsed in these games. And if they get Argentina in a semifinal, first of all, it's going to be an epic game. But I think they could come out of their their emotional levels again. They could go too far because Argentina is everything to them. And Argentina beat them in Copa America, and they're going to want that so bad. And I just think that might be to their detriment. Now, they may go out and prove me wrong, and I'd love for them to do that. Uh, but again, a little bit like France, I think they might have one too many attacking players on the pitch with Rafinha, Neymar, Richarlison, and Vinicius Jr. Do they play an extra midfielder if they can do that? maybe they've got a shot. Um, but I'm not convinced by smashing, you know, Korea Republic in the last 16 that suddenly they look like champions. I, 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 need you to, I need them to show me before they actually do that. And I think Argentina, particularly in the game against Mexico and, and Poland, I think they've shown us now that they, they have that ability to go there. So I, I'll stick with them. Um, and we'll see who comes from the other side, which looks like a, a European team.
0: And lastly, you know, for you, this is not... An occupation it's a vocation it's a calling it's clear in the hours that you put in and the way that you study penalties and (laughs) the history of them Uh, but it's also you know wrapped into you know you coming to this country and being one of the people that have helped grow the sport uh, in this country you had some beautiful thoughts uh, on um, one soccer Uh, just saying what it meant to you to cover the sport, the national team in this moment, what it meant to you personally and professionally. I I won't ask you to say them all again, because I assume, although your essays are quite amazing, that you you didn't memorize them or write them down, that you were speaking from the heart. But can you put into perspective what the connection of this national team and this sport internationally means to you and in your ability to continue to spread the gospel that is football
1: yeah sure i'll I'll certainly do my best you know you and i go way back buddy so i I feel like i'm just on the phone to my friend right now but like for anybody who's listening to this it's forgive me when i say this a little bit but you ask that question i get i get quite emotional um you know like i've been away from home for what 17 days like you you know you you know how close i am to, to my wife and kids and i miss them terribly but you know, it's been, it's been a journey, mate, you know what I mean? Like, it's been a journey into the unknown, as I said before, but also just representing what this country means to me, you know, and and I think that that's what this team does, you know, they are a wonderful representation, um, you know, of what this country should look like, should stand for, should act, Um, and that's, that's pretty, that's pretty beautiful, you know, like, at the end of the day, like, Yeah, there's egos on the team and yeah, there's sometimes they don't always get along. But for the most part, this is a group of 26 individuals that are just first class. Um, And, you know, they they have been, I think, a fantastic representation of this country. And I just hope more and more people get to see that uh, as they go forward, because being a a team, as I said, a dream team to cover and a dream team to coach, as I said, is true. You know, and you know this, you don't always get that, you know. Um, and I don't know whether we get that in four years, you know, because what comes with that in my experience of covering sport is sometimes it comes down to fame and money. And sometimes people get a little bit distant away from what made them who they are with that. And these players, because of how well they've been brought up, have not done that yet. And I, and I truly hope that's the same, because as I said, that's the essence of what it takes to be what I think a first class Canadian. Um, so that's, that's really been it for me. And and as I said, an honor and a privilege to cover this team and continue to see this grow. Um, you know, I'll just be honest with you, like two weeks before the tournament, I didn't think I was coming here. And that was just down to the grind of what's been with my other job with the Canadian Premier League and the fatigue level that was setting in and the decision to come and not to come. And and in the end it, it was made, um, between me and other people, we decided to do it. Uh, and I am, as I sit here on very little sleep, I am really thankful that I've done that, you know, not necessarily because I should be here, but just because I wanted to experience that and get closer to these players and get closer to the sport to take it forward. And as I said, like it never, ever leaves me behind the, the fact that I think that these people back home, these fans of this country, uh, they're so in tune now with this, this, the sport, they're so smart. They love this the sport. Um and, you know, that's the key for us to go forward now is to have those discussions, the big discussions about, you know, selections and tactics and, and talk like a football country. You know, and people hopefully within that and within the CSA and other people will develop thicker skin and be understand that really, buddy, we're just all coming from a good place with a big heart and compassion for the sport and for this team to move forward. And, um, you know, as I've covered so many teams and so many leagues over the years, It's always been professional. It's even Toronto FC and MLS Cup Finals. It's okay if they don't win; it's fine. Like I I wasn't a TFC fan never, Uh, but with this team, it was it was different. And I did, you know, I never did get to the point where I cheered in the press box like a lot of countries (laughs) do over here. Uh, Trust me, I've seen a lot of them. Uh, But but deep down, you you rooted for them, you know. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I'm still not going to apologize for
0: it. Well, in the last year or so, there has been, you know, a conversation about what it is. To be Canadian, what that means, not to make this political, but, you know, watching this team and how they're set up and how they got to this country, first and second generation Canadians from Africa and the Caribbean and Europe and uh, South America and bringing the best of themselves here to this country, finding opportunity, finding success, not leaving who their family is behind, but really bringing it bringing their values, bringing their culture, bringing their experiences, and then being able to compete on the world stage, bringing the best of the world into one country, to me, that's what it means to be Canadian. So I was hopeful that on this ride, many Canadians would tap into the fact that, yeah, they do represent us at our best of times. You, KJ, are a great example of all that. So I'm glad that you went. I'm glad that you experienced it. I'm glad that you've been able to teach and spread Uh, all of the football messages from this team to many people football fans who are underrepresented and underserved and many of which also came here from elsewhere and that's why they love the world's game the most i'm super excited for you that you got that opportunity continue to knock it out the park and thank you for spending some time with us now go get some sleep
1: (laughs) thanks my man much love to to you and the family and uh, hopefully i'll see you soon and again thanks for everyone listening it's uh, it's always a pleasure
0: Likewise, and I'm vicariously living through your kids whose sports bucket list is vastly expanding and much better than mine. You can come anytime with us, you know that. So thanks again to KJ, Christian Jack. He is the vice president of media and content for CPL Soccer, and you can get their content, whether it's on their social channels or online at cpl.ca. From the traditional means, you can also get them via one Soccer, via FUBU TV. He's also doing great analysis work with one Soccer, and he's a great follow on Twitter. At Christian Jack is the handle. So glad that he was able to spend a little bit of time with us. We should just call this the Friends episode, because after the break, I catch up with another good friend, one of the great first-class people in media. Shem joins us. Stay tuned.
1: My name is Lucille Bryan. I'm Clifton Bryan. My grandson has a show, and I'm so happy that you're listening to
2: Go and Deal with Donovan Bennett. I'm so glad that he had a show.
0: Thank you. Thank you, Grandma, Granted, Thank you for listening. And if you're listening to me, you definitely have listened to Shem, who's all over Kiss. And the best thing that you do, I think, the best thing that Roger Sports Media produces is your monthly recap. Let's let's go through the month of November because it was a lot. It's very nice. <laughs> this month we had the QP strike. Elon Musk is such an ass. Or take off, he lost his life. and gone too fast. Oh, yeah. Both gone too fast. Yeah. Like a radio was in the air Trump's running for press, she don't care No tailored tickets anywhere One month of Santa is here Yes, Santa will be here Yeah, Well, baby, be there drop like Peppa, dropped like pepper to drop. I girls were the grey cops No, please stop Ooh, go away that comes out on Shem's socials every month. I don't know if I'm more impressed by the writing or the vocals and the singing because you have to stay true to the actual original song. Because for those who don't know, you choose a different song every month, every month, and it's yeah. a different genre. Absolutely, we, we try to mix
2: it up dancehall,
0: pop, and so. Shout out to Umbop
2: Hansen. Mm-hmm.
0: But there's a lot there. Okay, first, you mentioned the World Cup. I've asked everyone who's come through to give a letter grade mm. to Team Canada at the World Cup. So, Professor Shem, yep. you're grading our team after three games. What grade would you give them?
2: Uh, they get a C for me. Okay. Uh, they came in with a lot of expectations, a lot of hype. And I feel like their play got worse. As the World Cup went on, right? They started out real good playing against Belgium. Then that Croatia game got away from them. And I believe Morocco was their last game, right? Uh, they started out real hot. And then they faltered. And they didn't perform well. So they didn't meet expectations. Actually, I would actually want to, you know what, scratch that. They get a D for me. Oh, wow. The more you they, think about they get it. a D, honestly, because you came in. They, I didn't expect them to win. But I did expect them to be competitive. And they were competitive for one game out of three. And that's disappointing to me. So they get a D for me.
0: Is it Drake's fault?
2: <laughs> Why are we blaming Drake?
0: Wow, well, you know, the Drake curse, as you know, is a thing. They came out through their first match, too, starting oh, from, the bottom, from the bottom. Right? Know? Which, I mean, literally they did. Unfortunately, they're still there. at the bottom <laughs> in terms of World Cup. Yeah. But, you know, as you know, many people want to blame Drake for everything.
2: He, he, listen, uh, Drake is the ultimate fanboy right he's the ultimate super fan and he doesn't have the best track record so i I, honestly though i'm gonna blame the team more than i will blame drake and normally it's very easy to blame drake as you said uh but no team canada you know they they gotta wear this one
0: okay well if we're gonna be blaming uh hip-hop artists and i'm gonna try and race through as many uh topics that happened this month as we can i feel like there's two false equivalencies that i've seen it's like, oh, Kanye and Kyrie, they're kind of the same. I'm like, uh, mm. no, nope. I don't know if they are. Nope. Both problematic but not the same. Mm-hmm. And then LeBron James had comments saying, well, why don't you keep that same energy for Jerry Jones that you have for Kyrie? And I don't know if those are equivalent either, but let's, let's start with Kanye and his world tour of anti-Semitism. You continue to see this story play out, and your thoughts are what?
2: Um, Kanye clearly needs help, and he, Connie's talking like a man who's not planning on being here much longer. That, if I'm going to be honest with you, that that's what it sounds like. He is he's reckless. He um, he's obviously anti Semitic. He he hates his own people too, and by own people I mean black people. Um, he seems to, and then and then preaches that he loves God and he loves Jesus and all. He's clearly somebody to me who is having a breakdown. We are witnessing it. It's sad. It, it's it's sad. It's sad to see one of like, you know, the greats in in, in culture, not just hip hop culture, in culture, sort of have this very public mental breakdown. And I also think we need to, we don't, we don't, we shouldn't use that as an excuse for his anti-Semitism, for his racism, for his problematic views. But Quite often, you know, black men don't always get to, um, you know, mental health is, is, is not ever, uh, uh, it's not always a topic of discussion, quite frankly. And I think we're witnessing one of the most tragic, uh, sad cases of mental health happen, happening right in front of our eyes. And again, he's talking like somebody who does not plan on being here. And I hate saying this because I felt this way about Britney Spears and Britney Spears fans don't get mad at me. I said I said this a little while ago. I said, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if one day you wake up and unfortunately, Kanye's not with us anymore because that's how he's talking and it's scary to what and it's scary to witness
0: that's definitely sad and proactively tragic I think the sad part for me personally is early Kanye was vulnerable in the opposite direction sure right was. all falls down right is a record talking about that ego or you know lack of self- assuredness but the the mask that we all put on to keep up with the Joneses it's really really smart and coming out of hip-hop where everything is bravado, everything is, I've got this whip and this train, chain, and he went the opposite direction. Crack music is an actual, it should be taught in universities, mm-hmm. it's an actual lesson in terms of the, you know, political and socioeconomic culture and pressures that we have in North America and how they're not set up for black people At all. to succeed, right? They're, they're really still... In many ways, uh, treating us like like slaves, right? So the fact that he's gone the entire opposite direction to me is so sad, based off of where he started.
2: he, he also infamously said, on in front of in front of millions of people with Mike Myers standing right next to him, yes. that, that the president of the United States doesn't care about black people. He was treated as if he was a god after that, right? Mm-hmm. And now you look at him and he's. You know, whether it's the MAGA hat or the White Lives Matter T-shirt or the anti-Semitism, you're just like, what in the world happened to you, right? Like, what what happened to you? Over down the hall, when we when were we talking, you know, over at Kiss, you know, we bring up Kim Kardashian quite often, right? And she took a lot of heat when she initially divorced him, right? People were like, what's wrong with you? You're you're hating and all that stuff. I'm like, imagine living with this. Can you blame her?
0: Well, some people believe that she's that family created. Sure, this.
2: sure. And and there's probably merit to it. I mean, especially when you look at, you know, Mar Odom, Chris Humphreys, a bunch of men that have gone through that family. Sure. But, you know, Kanye's grown, he's a grown-ass man. He's got to wear this, right? And I I'm not laying this at Chris Jenner, although I think she's the ultimate mastermind of everything and it and all things. I'm not laying it at her feet. This is this is Kanye. And to witness him do this and take this, I almost get tired, and I and I appreciate having the conversation now. I get tired of talking about Kanye West because Kanye West wants as much attention and focus on himself as possible, and I feel bad for the kids. You know, yeah. he, he he jumps on social media, talks about kids. He spent a year, you know, uh, bashing Pete Davidson. Not that I care about Pete Davidson at all, but you know, he just he's he he comes across as a bully. Now he's now he's really leaning into just being a hater, and it's just it's uh, it's sad to see.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess Pete Davidson stealing your girl might make you go sure. you know, a, a little. Um... A little too far. I, I I will say this about the Kanye piece. He, he couldn't have made up the Chris Paul thing because if you had to pick someone <laughs> that you would catch your wife with, I don't think Chris no. Paul CP three <laughs> is not the person that's jumping. You know, to your mind first, that that was like was too weird. It had to
2: be it, true. Super
0: far down the list.
2: Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree there.
0: Kyrie. Who many have lumped them together? I mean, Kanye has somewhat lumped them together, and I understand the overall sentiment with which LeBron was talking when he said, "Why don't you ask me, you know, questions about Jerry Jones, so on and so forth?" Like, I get, I get the overall thing that you know, as a black person spotlight, you have to be perfect always, and you know, often if you're rich and powerful and white, like Jerry Jones. Like People make excuses for you or never put you up to scrutiny. I think that is true. But I also think that, like, well, one, Braun, you're an NBA player, right? We, we wouldn't naturally ask you about Jerry Jones. And there's some people who, if they did ask you about Jerry Jones, you would be within your right to say, like, I play basketball for them. Why do I have to talk about this man? That's one. Two, I think we learned, we're kind of, we're trying to figure out, is Kyrie anti-Semitic? Like, this is coming out of left field. I know that Jerry Jones has a transactional relationship with black people. hundred percent. He's been very clear about it. Right. He's the fact that like he was the first to lead the brigade in terms of like, we're not kneeling. And so like this, none of this is new information. And so the fact that he was in a photo decades ago that, you know, theoretically was problematic to me is not the exact same of Kyrie in the present day and time doing things that are probably, but that's my original read. How did you read LeBron essentially bring the topic up and then Mike dropping and walking away?
2: I didn't mind LeBron calling out media members. Cause I thought he was right in that sense. Look, LeBron is a noted Cowboys fan, right? He is. So I'm not, I don't, it doesn't come across. It doesn't come out of left field for me that they ask him that. Also they asked Ron about Kaepernick, Nealon. Right, Kaepernick plays football. I, last time I I don't know Kaepernick has ever shot a basketball. Right now, mind you, the Kaepernick story was a real sort of it, it was it it was beyond sports. Right at that point, um, but I don't think he. I I think where LeBron went wrong is he mentioned Kyrie. Right, all LeBron had to say is how come y'all ain't asking me about Jerry Jones? You know that the that's a big case. People would obviously infer that he's you know trying to defend Kyrie. You you can't defend Kyrie. Um, and expect to be successful now, because Kyrie, as you mentioned, is a grown ass man. He's not a fourteen year old like Jerry Jones was in that picture. Not excusing it, of course. Um, he's grown, and he clearly has some problematic views. And to sort of play the what aboutism game is, is 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 silly from Bron. He's got to be better than that. He's got to be more responsible than that. But he also has to understand that you know LeBron James is he's bigger than the NBA as well. He's you, you know, think about it this: you're not, and this is no shade to anybody else. Who else on that Lakers team are you going to be asking about Jerry Jones, or who you even think to ask about Jerry Jones? Nobody, nobody, because none of them are none of them transcend the NBA in the way that LeBron transcends the NBA. Right? He is he is a sports cultural icon figure. Uh, you know, arguably the most popular. So it makes sense that um, he would be like, well, wait a minute, why wouldn't you ask me about this? Because he's right. If it was, you know, they asked him about Kaepernick, they asked him about other things. You know, why not ask him about that as well?
0: Well. If it was Robert Sarver, I'd agree. But people did ask him about Robert Sarver. If it was Donald Sterling, I'd agree. But people did ask him about Donald Sterling. People asked him about Kaepernick in the vein of would you also take a knee, right? Right. So you're talking about likes in terms of athletes. But he was also very forceful in tweeting about those scenarios. I stand with Cap. Mm -hmm. tweeting about Donald Sterling has to go, tweeting about Robert Sarver has to go. He owns a production company. Yep. He could create all the Jerry Jones content he wants to. He could have an entire episode of The Shop about Jerry Jones. And I'd be the first to watch it. But to come out of nowhere and be like, hey, why aren't you guys giving me this opportunity to talk about it? I mean, his intended goal it was achieved because we're now talking about it. Yeah, And First Take was then talking about it, which was funny because Stephen A. Smith does a about turn. <laughs> he could talk about Jerry Jones all day, every day. And when it came out, he said, I know the man. I've been on his plane Whatever. And then all of a sudden when LeBron says people aren't giving Jerry Jones enough scrutiny, he's now, you know, bigging up LeBron for that, which you can't have it both ways, Stephen A. But I'm I, I felt like it was low hanging fruit in a way that wasn't actually true to the general conversation. Yeah,
2: again, he could have achieved what I think he was looking for without mentioning Kyrie right? Because you can't, you can't say, well, look, this bad thing happened. Well, you're not focusing on this bad thing. And, you know, quite frankly, two things can be true, right? Jerry Jones could be, should, should probably have to answer for that photo or at least talk about it, but doesn't make Kyrie any less, you know, um, at fault for his, for his actions and his comments. And Braun does need to know better. But again, I'm not mad at him, you know, kind of holding the feet to the fire a little bit just to, you know, to some of those reporters.
0: There is truth though, that the scales are not, balanced evenly, we talk, especially when we're talking about celebrities, sure. we adjudicate them entirely different. I'm not sure if you heard the comments of Howard Stern talking about Oprah.
2: Oprah's not embarrassed by her wealth at all. She loves showing it off on Instagram. It's mind blowing, which is something I'm not comfortable with. What
0: are you talking about? You think it's news to people that Oprah's rich? Yeah. <laughs> like you think Oprah, like of all people that you could say are too brazen or flashy with their money Oprah, Oprah is, is the person far down that like, list. We there's a rapper named Two Chains, like in his name. <laughs> he's telling you yeah. that he's got more than one chain. Oprah is not flat she, If anything, if Oprah was flexing, it was you get a car, you get a car, you get a car. Sure. But Oprah is also like Hey African Village. You get a school, you get a school, you get a school. Yes. Like Oprah is not the right one to come for. I don't know. I to me that was like bizarre.
2: Well, also, I think what's really important in telling about his comments is that he said that she was too flashy. Well, too flashy for who? For who? Right? It's too flashy for him maybe, right? He didn't like to see her you know flaunting that wealth because there's probably some envy he probably looked at her and he's like well wait a minute you know you're 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 not at my level you're which, a broke boy in comparison right yeah you're a broke boy perfect way and he for him he he probably felt uncomfortable right like you're way too flashy for me now for you and i us, you know as normal folks out here i i don't think he was speaking to us or for us when he made those comments
0: my guy has his own movie called private parts like he is the one who, like, Oprah has acted in movies. She doesn't have her own movie. Mm-hmm. He's the one who his story has been essentially, you know, told and told and retold. But also, like I could argue that Oprah has created a little bit of a blueprint for people like Howard Stern in terms uh, of your having not only having your own show but owning, you know, your own content and, and taking it elsewhere and really being, you know, your own boss and CEO. Like, that, many people have followed the blueprint that Oprah, you know, Gave us, including LeBron and including Howard Stern. Uh,
2: yeah, well, she, she's a pioneer for a reason, right? And she's and she's Oprah for a reason, right? Like if, if I say Oprah, there's one. <laughs> there sure. there is only one. If I say Howard, eh, you might you might throw out a couple names. And that's Howard that's not Johnson. Sure. You, you, <laughs> stand at a hotel. Mandel, yeah. Mandel? Yeah. right? Who knows, right? Uh, so yeah, he. I I think he was highly disrespectful of Queen Oprah. You just don't come for Oprah. Just don't. And why Oprah? She's not gonna clap yeah. back, right? No. That's corny.
0: As Jay Z would say, beef up. Yeah. Uh, don't beef down. Okay. In terms of being pioneers and you know, someone who owns or, or is in the process of owning their own masters and rewriting songs, and someone you definitely don't come for Taylor Swift because the Swifties oh. will come for you, and they are coming Ooh. for ticket master. Can you get a ticket? Can anyone get a ticket? Do Oprah even get a
2: ticket? I can't. Taylor Swift is she, she is she is the music industry, right? There are a few people in the music industry who who. Um, when they make moves, um, the rest of the industry follows. Taylor Swift, Drake is on that list. Beyonce's on that list. Adele, maybe? Mm, I, I don't think she drops as frequent as frequently enough to make as much of a impact. But I mean, outside of Drake, Taylor Swift and Beyonce, I can't think of anybody else. You might throw Bad Bunny in there now because he's had a massive year and he's you know, you can't you can't discount the, you know, the 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 um the Latin music. But outside of those three I mean, you, you just, they are the music industry. They when, when they make moves, it shifts the culture. It sets the tone in every way, shape, or form.
0: I don't understand how we got here. First of all, Ticketmaster better figure it out because Beyonce will will tour soon, and so we're going to have the same issues, and I don't think... The beehive is just going to be on TikTok crying. No, like the, the, the energy is going to be a little bit different.
2: It, listen, they're going to come for Ticketmaster. They're going to find out who who runs, you know, Ticketmaster, and who's sitting behind them. Who's sitting behind those computers, and who's preventing them from seeing their queen bee? And it's going to get nasty.
0: So, for those who don't understand, just give us a bit of background of like, how did we get here? Like, you know, people were coming for Taylor Swift tickets. As if they were the vaccine when the vaccine first came out. Yes. Like, it was that serious. You're online, multiple tabs, texting people. You got one, whatever. Are you in the queue? Where are you at? Why, though? Because it's not the first time that she's toured or someone at this level. No. Drake or Beyonce toured. Why did this one go so, so
2: poorly? So, essentially, Ticketmaster did what airlines do. They oversold the flight, right? And they overpromised um, a flight. And now when fans are looking for tickets they can't get any because it's it's so oversold and now they and they're mad and again Taylor Swift when she tours now the, the thing with Taylor Swift is that she doesn't just tour, you know, a couple couple places, right? She tours everywhere. So you would think the chances to see her are are plentiful. N- not in this case at all. They they sent out pre codes that didn't work. They sent out, you know, the wrong pre codes and it was just a whole a whole a whole mess. So essentially they again, using the airline reference, they oversold the flight. And, people, and Taylor Swift fans, rightfully so, are mad. And then Taylor Swift had to release a statement saying, you know, this can't be happening. And again, I, I don't can't know, Can't she man. just
0: sell her own tickets at this point, though?
2: Um, can't she I, go I, direct to consumer? She probably could. I don't know if there's some deal with, like, Live Nation and, and, and promoters. I or she I wants know. people to be upset at somebody else. Or or, or that, too, right? Because you, And that's a really good point. You know, if you notice, she's getting no hate for this, mm-hmm. right? It, it, and I'm not saying that she should necessarily. So fans don't come after me, um, but she she has managed to shift the entire blame to Ticketmaster. And whereas I think in other cases you could argue that the artist would get the bare brunt of the fan reaction, but she has found a way. And I've, again, that's that's the power. That's the power of a Taylor Swift, right? She's found a way to make it about them, not servicing her fans and her. You know, releasing a statement. You know, wisely saying, "Hey, listen." I'm with you. I want you to come see my shows. But they are preventing it, and they screwed up. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to burn Ticketmaster for a little while.
0: Lastly, before I let you go, a big part of this market is the fact that on the secondary market, people know that they can move these tickets. Like, wait. Like, they know that this is an asset with a fixed value, but a bigger value in the market. And if I get hold of these things, I can make money on it for no other reason than the fact that my Wi-Fi worked and I got in line. Facts. Do you think we see dynamic pricing from the actual vendors, like a Live Nation and a Ticketmaster, where as the surge in the demand increases, okay, well that that price is going to go up to really deflate the potential, you know, value at on the secondary market of selling, you know, tickets to something like a uh, Taylor Swift or you know whatever the you know the big band is at the time.
2: I think if sort of those culture movers that I mentioned off the top, Taylor Swift, Beyonce, Drake, if they go in that direction, if they make their sort of deals with Live Nation and they and they go in that direction, absolutely, um, it's going to be interesting to see what happens after this whole Taylor Swift thing you know a fiasco with Ticketmaster. it's going to be interesting to see if that happens right if if live nation steps up if um and i'm blanking on other concert names or concert uh promoters if they step up and they say all right we're gonna we're gonna go we're gonna find a way to sort of fix this and 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 sort of um you know take advantage of the situation um but again it doesn't happen unless one of those mover those real culture movers uh decide so
0: well if and when it does happen, I'm gonna definitely hit you up to give me some perspective on it. Thank you, my guy. Yeah, man. Thank you. Always. And I appreciate you always, the listener, the person that we do this for, person that, quite frankly, makes this really, really fun to do. Continue to interact with us. And when you get a chance, like, favorite, share, subscribe to the podcast. On behalf of Show Ali, who keeps me on task, and Lance Kennedy running the ones and twos. This is another edition, of Going Deep. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next time. We'll